So Texas football is about to figure out what's going on with the bowl game and what's going on with Tom Herman. But pretend we're football for the next hour. I'm your host, Will Bazer. I'm joined alongside by Johnny Brashear and Timothy Preston. You guys listen to the Hornscast channel, which you guys can find on any podcasting platform out there. Tim is doing a nice little dance to the Budos band who is bringing us in right now. You guys should check them out. They have great music. Today we're going to be going over the Sam Houston State game as it uncovers some potential flaws. Then the Big 12, starting off with Baylor. Oh, whoops. We'll go over what the Big 12 is going to look like now that Baylor is basically out because they are dead due to the coronavirus. It's official. Don't research that. Uh, Oklahoma State is Texas's next opponent. We're going to go over what Texas should look for in them and his one player. His name is Kate Cunningham. Then, again, go over the Big 12 at large, uh, have our perceptions of the Big 12 changed as the opponents have changed and Baylor is no longer a school. Y'all, what are we, uh, what are we doing these days? How are we feeling? Let's just dive into Oklahoma State. I just think it's, it's just, you know, all Oklahoma State all the time, this podcast. This is a game I think Texas has to win. They just have to win. I think in years past against Oklahoma State and other... They didn't have to win in years past, but this year they have to win. They have to. Like they have yeah. to have to win. Uh, boy, Kate Cunningham's a beast. Uh, I, I'm still big on unlikely. Yeah. So, thanks everybody. Hook them. Are, are we, are we going to do pretend you're getting to know us now? Is that how no. this goes? Okay. No, Sorry. that was it. Oh. You're pretending to get to know Tim. That's it. Yeah. All right. All right. It's almost exactly what his text messages are like, by the way. Just out of the blue. Well, let's let's get right into it, Tim. We were we were talking about your kids. I don't care. What What are your top four <laughs> Oklahoma State players in the last decade? Go. Oh God, <laughs> this is uncomfortable. All right, number one, Desmond Mason. Number two, Hank Iba. Number three, Des Bryant. <laughs> number four, Big Country. Number five, <laughs> Randy Boo Foy. Pickens. <laughs> All right, this guy here is dead cross him off then <laughs> he got voted off the islands get into the same houston state game as the longhorns it was actually a little too close for comfort at times against same houston state it dropped texas down to the ken palm rankings because it was too close it was a game that texas probably should have won by 30 but instead they won by 16 and it was an uncomfortable 16 at times those Aren't all 16s what? uncomfortable, am I right? <laughs> That's a uh, Matthew McConaughey dazed and confused joke. No comment. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, we weren't really going to talk about Sam Houston State a ton. I didn't think I would say Sam Houston State more than maybe two times in this podcast, but here I am saying Sam Houston State once again because they uncover some potential flaws against Texas as Texas played Sam Houston State. Those flaws, do we want to go over them one by one, or we just want to run through them right now? I think we could start with an overview, which is that Texas had its most Texas-like 10 to 11 minutes of the season uh, at the end of that second half. As, As much as most of this season has been enjoyable for Texas fans to watch, that 11 minutes or so, like when Texas got up 65-38 and was looking to name its score at that point, the next 11 minutes look like 
last season or the season before or season before that when they would go into this funk slash drought slash butterfingers whatever right and it, it was rough to watch it was mildly infuriating i it wasn't fully infuriating because they were up by enough and they could still sort of muddle their way through a win even even at that point like they basically fucked around for 11 minutes and didn't pull a radford which is nice but at the same time, they just they were sloppy everywhere. They were out of sorts. It wasn't that Sam Houston State was doing anything amazing to to cause it. It, it just seemed like I don't know, like it was some. I mean, there's some sort of token pressure that Sam Houston State did, but it wasn't a ton. And it just it just fucked Texas up, and Texas or Texas fucked itself up. Maybe is a better way of putting has, it. Has there been a game? And it feels like this has just been a thing throughout Texas history in playing basketball, has there been a game where Texas doesn't go on a long drought of not scoring points for like a minute to four minutes, you know, and it just playing infuriating basketball? I don't think there's been a game this year. Even the Indiana game had times where Texas just struggled to score uh, and struggled to play clean basketball. I, I guess the difference this year from the previous years is that there have been times this season when Texas did not score well or quickly, but even during those times, there was a level of execution that didn't result in points that, that made me feel like, okay, they didn't really score much here, which is unfortunate, but I still saw the efforts to get into position to score, uh, especially off the ball, where in previous seasons, you wouldn't have necessarily seen as much of that. So... To me, this is the first game of this season where I, I've felt flashbacks to some of the worst teams that, that they've had in previous years. So, like, you know, I, I guess that's why this is different to me, is that in the other games, even when they would have these three, four, five-minute droughts, it wasn't a lack of execution. It was just the ball didn't go through. Yeah, and how many times over the last few years have we said, we're getting good shots, they're just not going in? And that's true of a lot of teams and a lot of nights, but... I also didn't think that it was necessarily that. Like, it actually just felt like, hey, they played kind of shitty for, for those for that stretch of the second half. It was just, it just was poor execution, a lot of fake hustle, a lot of guys playing that I felt didn't have necessarily. It just just stretches of bad choices and, and decision making. And one of the things that we talked about at the very beginning of the season was, you know, really Shaka's personnel decisions, his rotations, things like that stuck out to me as some of the, the biggest issues that he's had so far at Texas. And then you have a game like this where before the game, if you'd asked me, hey, what would be some lineup stuff that you'd like to see? Well, I'd like to see more Donovan Williams. I wish we could see that. And then you watch this game where it's like, oh, so that's why he's not playing a lot. And I, and I do feel like there are certainly ways that they can get cleaner, that, that we've seen Royce play at least a little bit better than he's played in this, you know, played in that game. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he wasn't fine. He was just uh, the he, worst player. He had play. five fouls <laughs> in five minutes, which is awesome. Yeah, that's it's pretty impressive. And I would say um, if you look at his other contributions in those five minutes, uh, they pale in comparison to how bad that was. But... <laughs> and, you know, I I know that, and just while we're on the topic of fouls, I know basketball refs in college basketball can either be very ticky-tacky or just not call anything. Most of the time, they're pretty ticky-tacky. But Texas fouls at an extraordinary rate 
with basically every single guy on this team. They're always four or five guys in foul trouble right out the gate. And to top that off with the turnovers at inopportune times and jacking up threes, it seems like this team is a little undisciplined or not undisciplined, but sloppy. That is something that's fair to say. And I feel like that shouldn't be the case in a team that is in the top 20 when it comes to seniority. It's true. And I think this is an important, this is a distinction that I think that I see. I think that I see. And I'm going to give a quick anecdote. Um, years ago when I was a, when I was teaching as a tennis pro, we had this one kid who was kind of short, but other than being short, was a terrific athlete. Uh, strong, fast, flexible, explosive, just a really nice tennis player. And at the end of each practice, we'd have these conditioning drills, right? Where we, you know, everybody on the line, we call them crunchers, like one line back, next line back, blah, blah, blah. Maybe you call them suicides. Maybe you call them like what line drill, whatever. He would always run so hard that he would slip when he would turn, right? So he would get to one line and then as he would kind of put his foot in the ground, he would be out of control and his foot would kind of like slip underneath him and then he would like, and then like get going the other way. If you're watching that, you think, wow, that guy's working so hard. Wow, what what incredible intensity and, and devotion to like to winning this. I, the problem is I think I know where this is going. He wouldn't win. He wouldn't win the races. Or if he did, he would be like wouldn't like closely with kids that he was much faster than if he would calm his shit down. And the reason that I think about that is like the point of a race is to win. The point of, of, of playing defense effectively is yes to be fast, is yes to make sure that you are being aggressive if, if that's what your coach is asking you to do. But the fake hustle stuff of this was just, it was infuriating. And you see that a decent amount so far with the fouling all year long. Like we've just, you know, being aggressive does not mean going over the top. Being aggressive does not mean reaching in when, you know, you have no business to do so. Being aggressive does not mean over hedging or over overselling where you're going to go as far as like guarding screens and fouling 25, 30 feet from the basket. And has the officiating been bad this year? Yes. Yes. <laughs> this has been a pretty rough officiating year seven games in. But even then, man, we are our own worst enemy by a lot. And the the fake hustle and the overplaying passing lanes, like you want to be aggressive, but you got to be smart. And at some point, if, you, if you're if you falling down every time you're turning, <laughs> you're going to lose the race, even if you are faster or better or more capable than your opponents. And that, man, the five fouls in five minutes for Royce, like it's, it's one of those things where after the Texas State game, I was like, well, maybe we should really think about, about Royce replacing Jericho. Like maybe we're closer than, than you would have thought so. But and then Royce does that. You're like, oh, okay, well, now back to the drawing board. So it, the fouling certainly, I don't think the, the refs have helped. But gosh, we just can't get out of our own way. I, I feel like it's, I mean, we're sort of, it's, it's early enough in the season that with them taking on a, I mean, it's not an entirely new defense that what they're doing is, not entirely different than what they were doing last year. It's sort of a marginal difference between uh, what Yaklich wanted and sort of the typical Shaka defense. It's kind of in the middle there, but it does it does require aggression. It does require trying to go for steals and deflections and that sort of thing. And so you're always playing some bit of a game of. What can I get away with, right? Like one of the shockest things that he has taught for 
forever, and he's probably still teaching it now, is the idea of not fouling with your arms, you foul with your chest, right? Like when you get up on, in man defense, you get up on somebody, you're trying to foul with your chest because those don't get called as much. And some of that's getting called a little more now. Some of it, Tim is right, is is the reaching when they don't need to. I feel like maybe we're at a point with this team where they have a level of depth where Shaka might be okay with them reaching for things that they may not always need to reach for because he knows he's got guys to back him up. If they get out of sorts and get a couple fouls, then he's got somebody else he can bring in. So he's okay with them trying to shoot for stuff, right? It does need to get reined in a little bit if they're going to reach their apex form. It does need to be a little smarter. So I, I agree with Tim on that point. I'm more concerned about the officiating than the fouling, if that makes sense. My thing is it's not just the fouling, though. It's the sloppy play in long stretches. It's the turnovers, you know, you saw against Villanova. And, and you know, you thought, oh, it's just Villanova. But then you see it here against Sam Houston State. You saw it against Texas State. You saw it against other teams. It wasn't just Villanova. You've seen a lot of shots that go up from guys who really shouldn't be taking those shots. Uh, you know, Greg Brown, yeah, he did get 17 points. He went two for seven, though, from three. That's under 30%. You don't want that. There was a bunch of different sloppy plays by a lot of different guys. I feel like we're ragging on a Texas team that's actually pretty good, but I f- the thing is is that I'm not saying that this is defining the team, but this is something that can be taken advantage of by a better team like Villanova. Yeah, I think... As far as the turnovers go, sort of, the, and I'm going to talk about that in in reference to the sloppy play. Is that one of the things that you know Texas is pretty highly rated in most attributes when it comes to Pomeroy's rankings. Their effective field goal percentage is good. Their two point percentage is good. Their three point percentage is a little above average. Like they they don't have a lot of glaring issues, but. Uh, there is a turnover percentage that's not great. And the reason it's not great is Pomeroy does, he splits it into two pieces. One is turnovers due to steals. And one is what he calls non-steal turnovers, which is effectively unforced errors. And Texas is very good at not getting the ball stolen from them, but they have a lot of unforced errors. And I think if there is an area where Texas offensively needs to clean up more than anything else to date, it's the non-steal turnovers, meaning they need to stop throwing the ball away. They need to stop just sort of making these mistakes, these unnecessary mistakes that have limited their offensive ceiling. Relative to the the previous seasons, it's not a big deal because they're doing a lot of other things better than they've been doing them. But that's going to be this vulnerability that they just, I mean, it's one thing to get the ball stolen from you. That's to some degree the defense imposing its will upon another team and maybe just being really good. But the non-steal turnovers is generally these unforced errors that that should in theory be the easiest thing to clean up. And so they need to clean that kind of thing up. And that was one of the things that was really on display during that 11-minute run of the second half. It's just a byproduct right now of Texas, I think, kind of having an understanding that they had, that they need to figure out what we've been talking about. Like, what is our identity outside of Matt and Courtney? Their roles, Ramey's and Coleman's identity, seem very pretty fluid and understandable and 
not necessarily in question from game to game. Is Greg a playmaker? What does that look like? Is Andrew a volume shooter? What does that look like? Do we look at Kai as being someone that we try to find, that we try to like create shots for in the half court? What does that look like? And then a game like this against Sam Houston State, it, it felt like we were so, I don't want to say hellbent, but so committed to go to those guys finding their offense and figuring out how they were going to be able to be playmakers or facilitators or whatever. So and, and Jericho. Yeah. It really kind of came off as we're going to stick with this. <laughs> we're going to allow those guys, uh, even through the mistakes and errors and, and turnovers and offensive fouls and, you know, stepping on the end line or whatever it might be like, it's just almost a comedy of errors. It felt like at some point mixed in with some highlight plays and some really good things. Like, you know, it's, it's tough to get after Greg going 17 and 10, right? That's a good, it's a good game. But we also know that that was, that that was flawed. I agree with Johnny. Like it's the worst thing is you can just see it coming. Like they'll get the ball at the top of the, of the key or they'll get the ball around the three point line. And you're like, okay, the defense is kind of set, which means this is going to go bad. And then two seconds later, Greg Brown crashes into somebody or Andrew dribbles it off his leg or whatever it might be. Jericho misses a catch that was in his hands when he was two feet above the nearest defender or, or, or something like that. So it's so on the one hand, it's sloppy play. On the other hand, if we're going to commit to those guys being playmakers and facilitators, this seems kind of what it is. And so then we're going to start figuring out from game to game, are any of those guys capable of actually turning a corner as playmakers and facilitators? Or when we get into basically every tough game from now on, KU, West Virginia, Oklahoma, Baylor, Texas Tech, are we going to be not just Matt and Courtney dominant, but really Matt and Courtney dominant, which I think will be a, a very interesting thing over the next few weeks. When we're talking about the leaders on this team, you were hoping that a senior guy like Jericho Sims was going to be able to be one who steps up this year, you know, having played his fourth year in Big 12 basketball. But it seems like he has just regressed this year, where last year there were fans who were angry with him and wanted to take him out, but he was still your best rebounder and he was a good role player. He wasn't exciting. He was a good role player. This year it just seems like Man, even his highlights, they're not great. He, tr- he took four or five steps before he, he did that highlight dunk. He's just not doing well this year. What is up with Jericho Sims where he has not just regressed when it comes to his offense, which wasn't great, but also his defense? Bill does a lot of things defensively that, that Shaka wants from his bigs. He gives you the option of switching with basically whomever. He's pretty smart as a switching defender on the perimeter. He still has a ways to go, but he's he's probably our best physical interior defender. I think Royce is more technically sound, five thousand five minutes notwithstanding. <laughs> but you see how he how Jericho makes a lot of sense as our best option as a true post player. This team does not fit with him. It's just not a fit. We talked about it again. I, I hate to kind of harp back to those first couple podcasts. It, it wasn't by accident. You you would look at a team that has Kai and that has Greg Brown, and when those guys are your highest impact or most talented forwards, 
where do they fit with Jericho? Those are guys that are most comfortable or most effective when they're around the ball. So is Jericho. How do you have three guys like that on the floor? Uh, How do you mingle minutes with those particular three guys when one of those three guys is not a perimeter shooter, is not comfortable with the ball in his hands, seems a little bit timid in an offense that that favors creativity and, and movement and motion? What do you do with him? What do you do? And particularly when the fact that like it's pretty obvious that Greg is our most natural and and capable rebounder, well then what really is Jericho's role? But you need you have to get him minutes because Kai and Jer- and Greg aren't going to play 40 minutes each, of course. They're probably going to be more in the 22 to 25 range. Part of it is Jericho doesn't look comfortable. Part of it is he's probably not going to be comfortable because it's not a wonderful fit. And so we're going to have to find ways where Matt and and Courtney, again, as as a lot of things kind of fall on them, they're going to have to figure out how do we incorporate Jericho in a way that gets him excited, that we can get him some positive looks early on in games. How do we you know maximize what he can do for us on defense as a mover with his length, but also know that it just probably will never be a terrific fit this season with this team. It seems like we have a curse of an every other year Jericho. His freshman year, he showed flashes, he showed a lot of potential, he had some good games. His sophomore year, he was sort of out of sorts, he never quite got in the flow of things. There were, you know, he he wasn't dealing well with having these other bigs around. His junior year, he was an upper-tier Big 12 big. His rebounding rate, his ability to defend other bigs, especially guys who like Udoka, he was legitimately good up until the injury. And now we're back to this sort of not sure what to do forcing things because he's not confident I, you know I, I i don't know this <laughs> clearly i don't know jericho personally i don't know how his personality is and how he handles change and how he handles upheaval to his role but it feels like he does well when you give him about 12 months to get used to what he's gonna be that's not really a, a formula for success in basketball, needless to say. But he's just, you know, even when they were forcing the ball to him against Sam Houston State, a team that does not have the size or length or athleticism to really deal with him, he's still predetermining reads. He's still going with his first idea for getting to the basket, even when that may not be the best thing, and he's taken five steps to get there, and and he might get the ball stripped from him when he's going up. He's back in this mode of probably getting two early fouls and having issues. He is just not right. Whereas if he was one with this system, for lack of a better term, he would be a a better rebound. He's already still a pretty solid rebounder, but he would be a better rebounder. He would be a better post presence, even if he's not getting the ball. Like when was the last time he rolled to the rim and they threw it to him and he finished? Like he doesn't doesn't get that in the first place, and he doesn't finish it either. So I it's frustrating because we've seen what he was last year. And he's just not that this year, and it's it's a problem. It's it's a not an easily solved problem. And he went from arguably in some games our number one offensive threat last year, yep, to maybe five or six this year. Yep. 
And so it's understandable that that would be a transition for a guy who's going into his senior year, who's excited about the team, but what what do you have? And and so whereas last year, last year as Johnny said, we were force feeding him like legitimately, like it felt like we had looks that were just like get Jericho the ball, and we were okay because we played pretty slow. Well, we're not playing slow this year, or at least not as slow. And so it does feel like okay, he's not just dropped down our pecking order; he's dropped way down our pecking order. And and that's that seems to have a toll too. Should Kai Jones start? You have to bring something off the bench. Like at some point, you have to bring something off the bench. I don't unless you're committed to playing those five guys 30, 32 minutes together a night. You have to have some type of firepower. And Brock Cunningham is a nice player, and maybe he'll hit some threes. But he's I see a lot of two or to four point games in his future this year. Yeah. At some point, it becomes favoritism and. You know, look at Tom Herman. You don't win with favoritism. You just don't. So there's a caveat to this, right? I understand your point, but I guess the caveat here is that it doesn't appear that Kai gives a damn whether he starts or not. Or if he does, he's not, you know, he's being a team player because he comes off the bench, plays 22-ish minutes a night, and he gives it his all and he does well. And if you've got a guy like Jericho, who we saw his sophomore year that when he started getting benched or he started seeing his minutes decrease, he got even less effective. And I don't know if this coaching staff is looking at it and saying, if we make him off the uh, the, the bench guy and Kai the starter, are we just going to lose him for the year? Is he just not going to, you know, maybe he, I don't know, check out or just not perform? Like at a certain point, you got to have guys in there who give minutes and if we could transplant Royce's aggression into Jericho's body, we would have a ridiculous dude. But we can't do that, unfortunately. This is not Westworld. So we're just sort of stuck with this flawed decisions. And to go back to a previous conversation we had in the last podcast, so if you put Kai in there in the starting lineup, what offensive number does he become, Will? And I'm not trying to like call you out, but like if, if Kai's in that starting lineup, where is he in the pecking order of, we're looking for him in the half court. So if it's if it's Matt, Courtney, Andrew, Greg, and Kai, what number is three or four for me? Because hmm. okay. at this point, I don't trust Andrew Jones or Greg Brown. Well, that's why it's three or four. Okay. It goes Coleman, Courtney, Greg Brown, or Kai Jones, and then it becomes Andrew Jones because unless Andrew Jones is wide open, I really don't trust him. Hmm. And I, to me, I still see Andrew as far more capable than Kai as being able to create his own shot by a lot. Until he shows me that this year, I don't see it. Show me, don't tell me. Boy, I don't. I, sheesh! I thought Andrew was pretty was pretty good, at least from the inside. Yeah, I thought I thought there was a stretch there where Andrew did a really good job of of not settling for threes and kind of getting stuff into the into the paint, uh, hitting some mid range jumpers, which. If that's something that he feels more comfortable with, that's I like that game from him. I I don't. Sure. Anyways, I mean, he got six of his points though from the free throw line. I guess if that's okay, yeah. That's, but I don't think he's going to get that against teams who aren't Sam Houston State. Well, he or will Texas if he's State. committed to going inside. He won't if he's taking ten threes or you know if he but shoots you, one again. For six. You know, we just talked with you know Johnny saying sometimes he dribbles it off his leg. You know, is he the best ball handler? Can you really trust him to bring that ball inside? Right, right. but yep, that's fair. I just. When I think about what you would think of Kai, I just to me he becomes the fifth scorer of that group. Now maybe he scores more points 
than other guys, but he still becomes the fifth option, fifth score. And why why that matters to me is if you're going to play a lineup that has Matt, Courtney, Greg, Andrew of the five on the team, then that fifth guy probably becomes a guy, can you run the floor? Can you get putbacks? Can you find the way for alley-oop dunks? Those things Jericho could do. He can run the floor. He can get alley-oop dunks if, if they do it. If I thought that Kai was going to be yet another player that we could count on to put the ball in his hands around the perimeter in isolation looks or, you know, against against a rotating defense and and see if he can kind of get into the paint, then I would say, yeah. And when when Kai is the third, you know, if you're playing Kai with, with Matt and Brock and Royce and Greg or something like that, then I would agree. Then all of a sudden it's, it's a very different situation. I would rather play Kai than Jericho. But with those starting fives of of Andrew, Greg, Courtney, and Matt, I I just I don't know that Kai is going to bring you that much more. Uh, that then kind of taking away from like okay, well then we can bring Kai off the bench and he's fresh and blah blah blah. So I it's just, it's convoluted. I understand. Maybe I'm maybe I'm making a good point. Maybe not. But but well, I, just... I think with you know, and one of the things you got to sort of keep in mind is that if Jericho gets a couple. of fouls in a couple you know the first three or four minutes of the game then you can bring Kai in and he does things and you know he, he can kind of insert himself into the lineup but if like I, I guess the way I'd put it is I would rather see if Jericho is going to be a net positive and if he gets a couple fouls early then bring Kai in than the opposite like I feel like if Kai gets a couple fouls in the first three or four minutes of the game and he's basically out for the rest of the first half, then you're going to have 16 minutes of Jericho, hell or high water, right? Or, you know, 12 minutes of Jericho and four of Royce or whatever, right? But like, I, I feel like it's, I don't know, maybe the better play for the game is to find out what Jericho is going to be and then decide from there rather than, I, I know Kai is going to be Kai. In fact, I would start Royce or Brock in front of Jericho or Courtney or something like that or or Andrew before I would say start Kai in front of Jericho. So we've been really ragging on a team, the number 11 team in the nation, number seven in Ken Pomeroy, the best team we've seen since we started the show. Well, we just did 30 minutes of ragging on a team that beat another team by 16 points. Tim... Bring me some sunshine into this podcast here because we really need it again. I get for a team that is number 11 in the nation, one of the best teams we've seen at Texas, one of the most athletic and gifted teams we've seen at Texas, and one of the teams that we think could take it the farthest as Shaka's gone at Texas. So it would be pretty hypocritical of me to talk in our last podcast about third and fourth scorers, find those guys. Give them a chance to to get comfortable and build a you know build a kind of a repertoire of how I'm going to create in this offense with these players, and then kind of bust them for some of the issues that that are inherent with that. Texas was up 27 points with what it was like 10 minutes left. They were on their way to to smashing like Ken Palm thought that they should, and like a lot of us thought they should. Then those next 10 minutes were bad, like they were unequivocally bad but Johnny wrote really effectively I thought in his piece said what changed that stopped the sieve and it was Matt they put in Matt and said okay this isn't good get in there take the reins and then we kind of coasted I guess to that 16 point lead and that's nice for a couple of reasons first of all as Johnny said it's it's great to have a senior point guard that can do what Matt can do 
but it's also indicative of understanding. Like, I don't think there's any delusions here. When we play against Kansas at KU or Oklahoma State at home, who are going to be the people that have the ball in their hands? It's going to be Matt and and Courtney. That's it. That it's that's what it's going to be. And you know, the other places where other guys see their usage go up is going to be because that's where Matt and Courtney kind of put them. And I'm still very comfortable with that. That's a team and that's a situation that I like. So when you, when you look at a game like this, the reasons to be upset are, like you said, the fouls, the sloppiness, the kind of weaker play by guys like Royce and Gerald and Donovan and even Courtney to some extent. But I can't ask for them to build that next group and not expect that there to be some growing pains. And even then, <laughs> we won easily against a not very good opponent. But I thought that we saw some growth. I thought that Greg is still kind of like, he is kind of still getting better. Like he's figuring it out we need for him to to do a little bit more uh, slashing, at least away from the basket or away from the ball. We'd like for him to, to maybe be a little bit more selective with his three-point shooting. But he's obviously still figuring out a way that he can be productive. We'd like to see Andrew get a little bit more uh, diverse in his skill set and not just, you know, kind of shoot weird threes or off-balance stuff. And he did that in this game. So if what we're going to do is harp on those last 10 minutes, and that's legitimate because those 10 minutes were bad, I think that we have to take it in the context of, yeah, and we're probably done with those 10 minutes. Like, it it seems unlikely that we're going to find ourselves (laughs) being willing to go ahead and say, Matt, you defer. Matt, we're not going to rely on you in those times. Let's let your teammates figure it out. And so I think that we're going to have that safety net that that was obviously missing for that time. And I'm glad it was missing for that time because I do think it's most important to get Andrew and Greg going. But hopefully, because of how well Matt's been playing, it will it will kind of guard us from some of those things. And if Matt had played an aggressive, dominant 38 minutes, do we win by 35? Maybe so. And we're not having this conversation, but it was still probably better for this Texas team that we went through the shit (laughs) and gave those guys a chance. And hopefully we'll be better on the other side for it. Well, Texas has gone through the shit of their out-of-conference schedule. Nice transition there, Will. Thank you, Will. Uh, It's it's incredible. Why we we pay you the big bucks. (laughs) So now they're heading into Big 12 play, even though they were supposed to do that last week. Uh, until Baylor, again, sadly died and is no longer. I don't know if I'd say sadly, but yeah. <laughs> I have to. It's You know, it's just you don't speak ill of the dead. Unless it's Scott True. Rest in pieces. <laughs> so Texas has Oklahoma State coming up this week and then just jumping into the Big 12, except for, I guess, Texas A&M Corpus Christi, which we'll get to the Monday before that. So Oklahoma State. What should we be looking for in the fighting K Cunninghams? Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Uh they are they are a very young team. I they have they are currently ranked number two ninety-six out of three fifty-seven or so in Ken Palm in terms of experience. So very young, very dependent on young guys. Uh, other than basically Isaac likely, that's that's about it. Uh, other than him, it's it's freshmen and sophomores across the board, pretty much. Uh, Kay Cunningham is legit. Uh, I I know you probably don't enjoy hearing the group think of Cade Cunningham, likely number one pick. He's the real deal, but he is the real deal. I mean, he's he's a six eight point guard who can hit a reliable three, like a very good three for at that. So 
you know, <laughs> there's a reason he gets talked up like that. Uh, the, the issue for Oklahoma State is basically everybody else. They have no one outside of him who is hitting threes at a good rate. Uh, their second most, actually their most prolific three-point shooter is Farron Flavors, who is a senior. Uh, he's hitting at about 26%. Like basically everyone other than Cade Cunningham is averaging out to about 30%, 29% from three, which is not what you want, uh, especially for a team that shoots, well, they don't shoot a ton of them, but they shoot a pretty fair amount of them. So really it becomes... You know, maybe not quite the Trey Young phenomenon of box and one, but the boxes around Trey. If you can get the ball out of Kate Cunningham's hands and force someone else to create, you're better off than not. I mean, that's the ball game with them for the most part. If someone else beats you from three, so be it, because I mean, you're, you're sort of betting against anyone else beating you from three. So that, that's that's kind of the thing with Oklahoma State. They they are fast. They have decent explosiveness. Cunningham's really good. I I still like Likely, but but I was wrong about him last year. I thought he would be like a first team All Big Twelve guy, and he was not. But they actually kind of pretty closely resemble <laughs> some of our previous teams. You know, Cunningham would be would be at a different level than than some of our better players over, the, over that same time frame. But you know, they just they're inconsistent. They're not technically super good shooters. Uh, I, I don't know if people watched the TCU game. It just it you you just felt like just watching like okay TCU has made better decisions. They were far more disciplined. They were much cleaner from the outside looks as far as their shot um, shot discipline and footwork and stuff like that preparation. Even though I think that probably Oklahoma State has more talented, more gifted players than a team like TCU, TCU was still kind of able to out execute them. I, and I don't think Oklahoma State has better players than Texas. And this is a game they, where they have one. Yeah, <laughs> this is a game, but we, we probably have uh, two through seven. Th- this is a game that is incredibly important to me. Like, this is the exact type of game where that has been the shocker killer of of his time at Texas. And those games against middle of the road to maybe possibly slightly lower side of the Big 12, even at home, uh, should wins. We know that Oklahoma State's certainly talented and not bad at all. But Texas should win this game, and this is a game that they kind of haven't, with the exception of maybe that one five-game stretch or here and there against like a, a decent Iowa State team at okay. home in the T- past. Tell me or, how that five-game stretch ended and who it ended it, against. Yeah, exactly. And it's just it just it feels like this is in an entire tenure of trap games. Here's another one, right? It seems like we shouldn't have as many trap games as we've had, but that's where we are, and so. I talked about personnel stuff. I talked about developing scorers, but this will be a huge, a huge testament to can we handle our business against a decent team that we should still win against? And, and you know, I'm nervous about it. <laughs> I think we should win, but I'm, I'm nervous about it. So then the obvious question for me and most Texas fans is how do you not get trapped? What does Texas need to do to stop Kate Cunningham and another guy from taking his place? How does Texas score against this Oklahoma State team? What does Texas need to do? What are you going to be looking for, uh, I guess, as keys of the game, as cliche as that is? I think I'm interested in seeing who they put on Cade Cunningham because with his size, it's hard for guys like Coleman and Ramey to defend him well. They can, 
But being that he's 6'8", being that he is as natural with the ball in his hands as he is, there's a certain point where you got to maybe consider... Freshman phenom on freshman phenom? I, I feel like that's a good way to get Greg Brown fouled out in about 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> he, he, I mean, he might be able to pull it off, but I, I yeah, that's no. Um, I, I would be more comfortable... I mean, honestly, I'm comfortable just throwing bodies at him. Like, have Matt Art guard him some, have Andrew guard him some, have Ramey guard him some, have Stretch guard him for a couple minutes, maybe Brock guards him. Like, I, I think you've got enough depth on this team that you can possibly wear him down a little bit just by the sheer number of guys who are capable of guarding him for five minutes to eight minutes in a game interspersed throughout plus with the way texas switches he's probably going to get matched up on a number of different guys you just got to make sure to the best of your ability it's not i don't know royce because royce will foul out in two minutes if he's against <laughs> he's against cade uh, other than that you know the thing about cade that that is that you know one of the reasons why people are as high on him as they are is it's not just a guy who can score like trey young he also is very good hitting his teammates where they're open if you can get the ball out of his hands before he's initiating offense whether it's through traps or whether it's just getting you know ball denial on the inbounds where they got to give it to somebody else and coleman or whoever just stays on him and plays plays the gaps if you can make the other four guys on the team have to create have to initiate that's going to do a lot to to inhibit oklahoma state's effectiveness so i think that's when you're looking at what you need to do against Cade, it's it's more that sort of stuff than just got to play a man, right? There's sort of layers to it. In the last two losses to Oklahoma State, the Texas had, they shot five for 29 from behind the arc, and they shot two for 22. Bad shooting games happen. Two for 22 should not happen. Not with a team like ours. Really simplifying it, Tim. That's the one key, I guess, is hit your threes. Yeah, especially because Oklahoma State is going to let you shoot them. They, they don't yeah. they don't really deny the three they're they're trying to deny other things and you know so there will be open looks if andrew wants to get on track for a game this is a great game for him to do it yeah and even like again does greg have time to set his feet does andrew have time to set his feet does courtney kind of have have some of those looks where he's like okay well i've, I've got the room and separation to to feel like i can get things off cleanly so one of the things that you hope for with with a really good team is is that you avoid some of those kind of dreadful games. And if Texas had has dreadful games against almost anyone in the Big Twelve, yeah, look, the, it's a conference filled with really really solid teams. But we hope that we're at the point right now where the experience will then lead to not just better play, but maybe just not terrible play too. Yeah, this is one of those games where you you've get a good glimpse into whether Texas is more likely to finish second or sixth in the conference. These kind of games, among others. Let's go ahead and get out of Oklahoma State and take a little bit more of a macro look at this. A little bit of a macro look. Ah, get it? Uh, so, goddamn, I hate myself. Uh, I'm sorry, I was uh, filing a trademark infringement lawsuit for uh, what shows up on my recaps and... Uh, Oh, to, yeah. I don't, I don't appreciate this. Is micro and macro are clearly terms only I use. So let's take a macro look. I'm sorry, Johnny, and take a look at the rest of this Big Twelve because Texas is walking into 
the hornet's nest that is the Big 12, and we've now had a week's worth of observation in the out-of-conference schedule's worth of observation about this Texas team and the rest of this Big 12. What do we think about Texas in this Big 12? What do we, where do we think the Big 12 shakes out after all this? And who do you think makes the first team Big 12 at the end of the season? So I'll go here. I think that my rankings are probably pretty comparable to what they were a couple weeks ago when we talked about this. As long as there's some kind of seance and, and Baylor is raised from the dead, I expect them to win the conference. You know, there's still that little glove of of West Virginia, Texas, and Kansas in that 2-3-4. I think it might kind of come down to matchups, in which case it's it's still tough for me to vote against Kansas because, you know, the Bill Self stuff, and they've, just, they've been at it for so long, and they've had so much success. I think Texas is actually still the second most talented team in the conference, so it would not surprise me if Texas ended up there at number two, but but I'm I'm interested to see how those matchups kind of work. But I think it's the, you know those three teams. To me, Tech seems like the clearest number five. I have them a notch below those other couple of teams, and then it's OU, Oklahoma State, TCU, Iowa State, Kansas State. I still think even though Kansas State won at Iowa State, they're 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 still most likely to to be last. But but that's that's how I see it at this point. Yeah, I guess if. Uh... Baylor can stop deep-throating doorknobs for long enough to actually play some games, then... Narrator's voice, they couldn't. <laughs> they, If they can, then they should probably be the favorites for this conference. It's an open question as to whether or not they understand how viruses work at this point, because they've had two different pauses, and it seems inevitable that they'll have at least a third somewhere along the way, given that... They don't seem to have learned a single goddamn lesson to this point. Uh, Beyond that, I'm not putting Tech as a clear fifth at this point. I still think it's Texas, West Virginia, Kansas, and Texas Tech in some order. I think Kansas probably or is the most likely of those four to end up second, given that Jalen Wilson is coming along and they seem to sort of really be figuring things out. Ochai Baji looks really good. And even with David McCormick not playing great basketball, they still are winning games in Lubbock and that sort of thing. So, you know, if I was going to give a nod out of those four, it's probably to Kansas by a, a little bit, but I wouldn't be surprised if any of those four finished second. I understand where Tim is coming from with Tech being a little lower. I think the thing that's holding me back from ranking them lower is that they probably still have Kevin McCuller coming back here in the next week or two, and he could help help them in innumerable ways. Uh, in innumerable ways. That's hard to say even once over. You know, that's that's the top five. I don't think there's as clear a distinction between them and the next uh, strata as there was before. I think Oklahoma is playing well enough offensively that they could at least challenge for say fifth or so. It would not surprise me if they break into the top half of the conference, their defense is still, their defense is bad. (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely, if they don't, it's going to be because their defense, I, I will say that their offense looks good enough that, I don't know, they kind of feel a little like Hoiberg, Ohio state days where they might just outscore some people, 
I wouldn't be surprised at all if they end up sixth, but if there's any team in the bottom half that's going to break into the top half, it's it's them. Uh, Oklahoma State, we've talked about. It's Cade Cunningham and some other guys who have potential, but I wouldn't be surprised if Oklahoma State dropped to like eighth maybe because TCU has played better than I expected. I, I had a lot of questions about them. It wasn't that I thought they'd be bad. It was so much I just wasn't sure. They've got so many different pieces that that I wasn't sure how they would all fit together. And thus far, they seem to be fitting together pretty well. well going, going back to your Oklahoma argument, Oklahoma's next four games, Texas Tech, West Virginia, Baylor, Kansas. Yeah, and they, you know, they very well might go 0 for 4 in those. Or they might go 2 for 2, you know, 2 and 2, who knows. Like, they, they've got potential to beat just about, I mean, I... You know, I don't know if they're going to beat Baylor, but they got a chance to beat just about everybody in the conference at least once. So, you know, maybe they end up nine and nine, and somebody in that top five, you know, doesn't doesn't quite make uh, or they, they kind of deflate a little bit, and and Oklahoma picks up, you know, picks up a spot or two that way. TCU is interesting to me in that Kevin Samuel and. Um, it's not just him and Nemhard. There's somebody else on their team that that's playing better than I expected. And you know they they could they're another team that like Tim was talking about earlier. They they execute well offensively, and so I feel like there's a there's a little bit of separation between them and the bottom three of Iowa State and uh, Kansas State. And well, maybe they're maybe they're going to be seventh, but you know I I think Iowa State and Kansas State are probably fairly clearly the bottom of the conference and Kansas State may fairly clearly be 10th at this point so were you thinking miles for TCU yeah yeah it's miles miles he's he's the you know he's been sort of a pleasant surprise so I guess in terms of difference between now and preseason I would say I'm a little more impressed with Oklahoma than I was I'm a little more impressed with TCU than I was or maybe fairly more impressed with TCU than I was um, and I did not expect, well, I didn't think Kansas state would be good. I did not expect them to be this bad. So, so again, where does Texas fall in this and it'll gun to your head where they end off in the season? I, I mean, I picked them fourth to start the year. I still am going to sit, sit there. I think they're, what I would say is that their, their window for me has, has shrunk from second to sixth to second to fifth where I don't think it's likely they fall out of the top half of the conference. I, I could see a solid argument for them at third. Um, I can see a potential for second. And again, you know, if Baylor ends up playing four conference games this season, who knows, they may end up two and two and in the middle of the pack. Um, but I, I, you know, I don't, I don't really see a way Texas is first. Yeah, I think... I think third to me seems most likely, and I probably would say fourth is just slightly more likely than second, but gun to my head, third. Then who is your Big 12 first team? Like who makes it? How many of those players are Texas players? Who do you think is good enough? I guess basically I'm asking on this Texas team to make that first team Big 12. It's it's Matt. I mean, it's Matt. basically just Matt. Like. Uh, and it's not so much a knock on the other guys. It's just the Big 12's got a lot of really good players. And Cade Cunningham's probably going to be first team Big 12. Uh, I would assume there's going to be a Kansas player, whether it's Marcus Garrett or Jalen Wilson, or maybe Ochai Baji ends up in first, first place. 
Um, Kevin Samuel. Shibway, Culver. Yeah, there's uh, McClung, maybe. Um, there's, you know, there's a number of guys, and, and I haven't even mentioned, you know, Baylor guys. There's probably going to be at least one of them. So, you know, it seems like Matt, unless Ramey just continues to go off, then maybe he makes a, a run for it. But it, to me, it's it's good. It's going it's Matt or nobody in first team Big Twelve. Yeah, I, I could I could potentially see Greg if somehow his production stays high. I just I'm not sure he's going to be efficient enough. No, but he's been like 17 and 10 the last couple games. So if if somehow that's if he does seventeen and ten against the Big Twelve, I will be amazed. Yeah, for sure, uh, for sure. But like the only other guy that you could convince me, like okay, well maybe I could see it being Greg. But yeah, it's it's Matt, and then well, I'm you know he's going to do it teams. against the Big Twelve. It's going to be Kansas State. <laughs> yeah, or Oklahoma maybe he might do it against Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah people maybe. are going to score a lot of points against that. Or if, I guess if he hits it, like, we should really start making the side spin running joke or running theme like you're in the no side spin zone sort of thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i guess brock bequeathed that to him this year it's got to be somebody on texas who has side spin on their threes so um it's greg this year and i don't know who's gonna get next year but i i think we're gonna go ahead and get into pretend you're getting to know us it's that it's that time of night, y'all. Let's go ahead and get into it. This week, we're going to be talking about what secret conspiracy would we like to start? And, you know, I'm going to start this one. I really want to start this one. I, my conspiracy would be a started conspiracy where I've made out or, you know, had sex with just the hottest girls ever. You- fucking stealer <laughs> it's a good theory that's a good yeah, theory right? it's a really good I like one that, it's Will. pretty original i think you stealer what what tim what i don't what i i have never heard what? that conspiracy theory before yeah, I, you in know, my life you, if, i thought it was pretty good you know like hey dude he made he made out with megan fox during her prime it's arguably the best answer anyone has ever given to any pretend you're getting to know us and i am proud of you really Will. I, I would have to agree with you johnny i think i think it really is our best answer we've ever had to pretend you're getting to know us what do you think tim it's a good answer i like it tim is there any reason you're, you're sad right now what's what's going no. on there no so okay, so my conspiracy theory well, is that well, Tim, I banged a lot of hot chicks. I don't want to just jump over and... <laughs> this. You were sad, dude. I want I want to understand what's what's the problem. Well, the real problem is I apparently got dr- drunk enough last time that we recorded that I don't remember telling you guys that 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 was mine going to be mine for the next week. So yep, that's behind the curtain. Okay, so conspiracy theory that I would like to start. All right, uh, Phantom Menace is the best non-original series Star Wars and not Rogue One. Rogue One is better. But other than Rogue One and the original series, the conspiracy that I want to put out there is that Phantom Menace is the best Star Wars. That's a it's that's a mild like you've put so many caveats on your conspiracy theory. <laughs> like it was the best Star Wars movie created in the late nineties. We have we have fake moon landing. We have virus that implants microchips. Uh, we have what else? <laughs> you know, the grassy knoll, and then we have yep. 
The Phantom Menace was a pretty good movie. Phantom Menace is the is the fifth best Star Wars movie. Yes, yeah. I want to. That's a conspiracy theory that I want to that I want to get behind. I feel like you should go all out and just call to get it started. That's the best Star Wars movie. No, I can't. I can't do that. That's not true to who I am. But you're, you're wait. So start a conspiracy theory is true to who you are, but not that conspiracy theory. No, I no, I don't like conspiracy theories. But I could get behind that one. That's a that's a reasonable enough conspiracy theory that I think is like you know there's no tinfoil with that. It's just no. That's the fun just, of conspiracy theories, Tim. You're missing the point here. No, but the the hats have the points, and I don't like the hats. There's there's no hats, and like you know sometimes when you because we use a lot, we use a lot, <laughs> a lot of tinfoil at my house. I don't like cleaning off pans and stuff like that. So when we make chicken nuggets. Or if we're making veggies, I just I, I layer, you know, I lay a nice layer down of the of the tin foil. But sometimes when it rubs, it just gets get that uh, that kind of weird sound. It hurts your ears. It makes you uncomfortable. And, and the point, I think that point can be pretty sharp. And I think it's also a sharp point to say that Phantom Menace is the fifth best Star Wars. Wow, wow, Johnny, Jar, do you want to Jar, follow Jar, that? Jar's, I, I don't Jar know Jar's if you can bad. follow as hot a take as. Phantom Menace is the fifth best Star Wars as a conspiracy, but yeah. we'll see what you can do. I still just, I don't know that there's anything in Star Wars that is still more riveting than Darth Maul taking off his hood and showing that double-sided lightsaber. That's just, it gets just, that matters. It matters. It's so, it's so impactful. Tim, Tim's a big fan of men taking off their hood. I, I think I have a, a pair of conspiracy theories I'd like to start. Um, one of them helps me personally. How drunk was I last week? P- pretty, pretty drunk. Um, I w- there, there are two I have. Well, one is one that helps me personally, and one I just really want to start for no apparent reason whatsoever. Uh, the one that the one that I want to do that that personally helps me is that. Uh, handing me a $5 bill will guarantee your children will be born healthy. So you're the Facebook meme that like, share this or yeah, else you're going to yeah, have a crappy forward, Yeah, forward this to 10 people. Yes, basically <laughs> I'm I'm the new, you know, chain letter, but it's handing me $5 will make sure your children are healthy. I mean, why not 10 at that point? Like, well, that's just excessive. But really, I'm, I'm going 10 for is excessive? Here. Yeah. I feel like, like 20 would be excessive, but like... Ten is a weird enough denomination where it's this still. Is, this is sort of like the office space hacking idea, where it was like just fractions of a penny, millions of times. Like this is <laughs> we do for a much bigger pot, a couple of million times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's I gotta take it a penny, million, a few million times. I figure, you know, if I could just get like one tenth of one percent of the population to believe this, I'm going to retire at like forty five. Okay, I changed my conspiracy theory to throwing a penny at Johnny. (laughs) That's we'll 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 make sure that we'll ensure that your kids are healthy. I'll buy hockey pads and like a a giant bowl, and I'll just carry it around. And I'm just gonna gonna hit up Coinstar like crazy. I'm gonna be loaded off of pennies. the The other one was that uh, Scott Drew was behind the Coney 2012 videos being purged from the internet. Are they purged from the internet? Yeah, they are now because Scott Drew made it happen. You know why nobody talks about Coney 2012 anymore? Because Scott Drew made that happen. We don't know what happened to those kids. 
And that's because Scott Drew purged all videos from the internet talking about that humanitarian crisis. Wow. Wow. From what I understand, Scott Drew is patient zero of Ebola and gave it to the entire continent of Africa. He's patient zero, one, two, five, 23. Yep. Wow. The Scott Drew facts on this, we should just become Scott Drew facts, the podcast. Yeah, change my mind. Yeah. Change it. Yeah. Try and prove that he was not behind Ebola. Well, yeah. The burden of proof is not on me. Checkmate bears. <laughs> All right. Y'all, thank you for pretending we were football for the past hour. I have been your host, Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. Mr. Johnny Brashear, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bitter White Guy, where I'm telling Ken Paxton to go fuck himself on a pretty regular basis at this point. Uh, also, I'm on Substack, bitterwhiteguy.substack.com. It's a place. It exists. You probably haven't heard of it before now, but now you have. So uh, go there and read me making more fun of Baylor and their lack of COVID protocols. Yeah, uh, I think that's about it. Uh, excuse, excuse me, please. Oh, excuse me. Yes. Hi. If it's not too much to ask, could I could I name myself and my how, where I'm from? You know what? I'm feeling generous today, Tim. Go ahead <gasps> and do it. <laughs> oh, my name is Tim Preston, and I write for InsideTexas.com occasionally when Joe Cook or Justin Wills asks me to specifically and uh you can find me on twitter inside texas hoop no s and our website rules come hang out with us we'd love to have you all right i think on that note tim do you have do you want to mention like perhaps where you can find this podcast me yeah or tim tim where can we find this podcast yeah oh boy uh okay so podbean spotify apple itunes Stitcher, Napster, uh, Audio Galaxy, uh, Comfiesta.com. It's yep. our favorite. That's actually where we get most of our hits. <laughs> yeah. That's I why that's that explicit it. tag is on every episode. <laughs> more people click on it at Comfiesta.com. Yep. Yep. I think it's .org, actually, but uh, I, I misspoke. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you for listening. We'll see y'all next week. Tim, end us off on a story. Hook them. Hook them. So this week's story is going to be about picture taking. Let me tell you anything about picture taking. So as a language arts teacher, uh, it's one of the one of the core requirement classes that you teach in, in high school. And so basically every single kid has to take language arts, right? So that's just one of the things that you do. So uh, there's a language arts requirement that's four years. And so every kid's going to have to have that. And I teach seniors. And so obviously I have a lot of seniors that are in there and we had to take pictures. Well, pictures at any time of the year is, is pretty uncomfortable, pretty rough. There's a lot of students. It's pretty, it's pretty a big ordeal. Well, under pandemic, I can tell you, it's not a big ordeal. It is not because I've only had the, the biggest class I've had so far right now has been about eight or nine students. And, and, you know, I've got it socially distanced, like some kids here, other kids here, you know how it works. But uh, I went down to get my picture taken this time and I walked in. I'm the only one in the room. <laughs> Only one in the room. It's crazy. I walk in. I walk up the auditorium steps. I'm in there. I'm like, hey, I'm Mr. Preston. <laughs> They're like, we know you, who you are. But they didn't know who I was. But they could have. But I ended up taking my picture, and they said, okay, chin forward, 
but your back kind of back. Let's have your let's have your thumbs out in your pants and just kind of make sure that you're kind of looking this way and smile big, not that big. And they said, I was like, oh, you've seen my smile before, and they hadn't. But uh, as I took that photo, um, then they showed it to me, and it was not a great photo, but I took it. And you know, uh, I had a I had a hoodie on, like it was a, it was a classy hoodie. It's kind of it's got grainy, like a heather kind of feel to it, and I thought it was ended up being pretty nice. Uh, it's more of like a, it's kind of like a slate gray, maybe like a pewter, but then also a lighter gray. It looked really good, I think, but also hoodie, so you know, still still uncomfortable in the in a very kind of classy, great way. So I take that picture and I walk right over to the side, and they have me pick up one of those little cards, like this card that just comes out right away, and it was in, incredible. They had this little machine that they pushed down on it, and it made a hole in the card that you could like put like a little lanyard through or something. I it was that machine just blew my mind. Um, and now on that thing, you can go ahead and you can have a good time.